Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. We will not shirk our responsibilities, and we will not kick the can down the road for our children and the next generation to solve. And we will not cut spending on vital services. Candidly, her policy agenda is so extreme and so misguided in terms of the quality of the policy that she's proposing, I don't believe that there will be uh, a ton of agreement on it. Governor Hobbs wants you to believe she's all about securing our border and ending the lawlessness caused by Joe Biden's broken immigration system. But her record is one of open borders, and despite her grandstanding, she's continued that approach as governor. But this is not something that we can wait to see whether there's going to be an issue later on this year. We Mm -hmm. need action by the legislature and the governor now. We have all come together to defeat this abortion amendment because its broad language is deceiving. I think this is a trap for Republicans to turn the Democrats into the ones protecting jobs now. They're they're like giving up all their the classic Republican, you know, strongholds. And with me to talk about Governor Hobbs' state of the state speech, legislative Republicans' response to it, and more are Matthew Benson of the firm Veritas. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. And attorney and former congressional staffer Roy Herrera. Roy, good morning to you. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to both of you. So, Matt, let me start with you. Somebody who has worked on and written states of the state speech uh, with uh, Governor Jan Brewer. What do you think of, of Governor Hobbs? I thought it was a solid speech. You know, that's a that's a difficult environment to walk into. Very narrowly divided House and Senate. So much political polarization. She tried, and I think with some success, uh, tried to emphasize the need for the state to come together in a bipartisan way. Uh, I thought it was really interesting, and this differs from the speech she gave a year ago. She really came straight out of the chute talking about the border and going after the Biden administration, not by name, but referring to the federal government repeatedly in its failure to secure the border and the cost that that has created for the state of Arizona. So I thought it was a different approach that she took this year. She still had plenty of red meat in there for progressives on going after ESAs, for example, talking about abortion access – uh, but I, I thought it was an interesting speech, and I, I think in some ways she was trying to find common ground with Republicans because ultimately she's going to need a certain a certain number of Republicans to get anything done this session. Yeah, Roy, bipartisanship was certainly something that she talked about uh, in this speech. What did what did you make of it, sort of on the the overall theme here? Well, I agree with Matt. I think it was a speech that was designed and and did appeal to a a very wide audience. I mean, I think it was an effort from the governor to try to forge some bipartisan compromise on on a number of issues. And I think there were a number of issues in the speech itself that, you know, that should, you know, receive some bipartisan compromise. I mean, when she talked about things like updating our our groundwater policy, which Mm -hmm. haven't been updated in 40 years, uh, when she talks about you know, the sober living homes crisis and providing, you know, some additional regulations and licensing to try to stamp out uh, fraud and, and waste in that area. Um, even things like, you know, housing affordability and sort of talking about pro- providing some help for, for home buying for people that need it. There's some areas there, I think, where, where there should be some some compromise. But then, of course, you do have some issues like, and, I, and I'm well aware that Republicans say the ESA proposal is dead on arrival, but something like ESAs, which is a common sense proposal that she's going to be pushing this year, and if it's not successful, certainly pushing uh, at the ballot in this, this November. What did you make of the fact that she came out, as Matt pointed out, like 
very early on in the speech and for quite a while talking specifically about the border. Well, she's been talking about the border now for, for you know, for a while. I mean, certainly since Lukeville and, and everything that happened there. And it's clear. I mean, Senator Kelly, Senator Sinema, Governor Hobbs, I mean, all the top elected officials in Arizona are very concerned about sort of the unprecedented situation at the border and trying to get additional resources here. Obviously, Congress is working on that right now, but mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, and of course, that's another area where I would assume there'd be um, a lot of bipartisan agreement with Republicans on addressing that issue. So, Matt, when you think about some of the issues that that she talked about, Roy mentioned some of them, things like water and housing affordability and sober living homes. Do you anticipate agreement between Republicans and Democrats, or is it maybe too soon to say here? I think that there will be some areas of agreement, but they will there will, they will be few and far between. Mm. And that's just that's just the reality of our our current political climate in this state and nationally. There aren't a lot of, of areas of agreement. Uh, this is an election year. And, you know, a lot of these legislators will face primaries, whether from their left or their right, depending on their party. And so there's not a lot of political incentive to come together and work across the aisle. I wonder if this in some ways is like a a bit of a catch-22 for some, especially Republican lawmakers, but probably applies to Democrats as well, where, you know, you want to get out of session as soon as you can in an election year because you want to campaign, you can't raise money from certain people during the session. So there's an incentive to be done. But at the same time, to your point, if you are seen as making a deal with Democrats, that might not be such a, an attractive thing in the primary. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny because Roy and I were talking about that earlier. I mean, Mark, you and I are kind of old dogs here. <laughs> that used to be the way. Yeah. During an election year, legislators wanted to get out early so they could get out on the campaign trail. It has not played out that way in the last few cycles. And in some ways – there is actually more incentive for a lot of these legislators to stay in session because that's where they have the loudest platform. Mm. They have the biggest bully pulpit. And so uh, they're inclined to just stay. And so I, I don't expect a short session. That's uh, that's reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Roy, we heard the governor also talk and we heard her at the, at the very top of the show talking about uh, dealing with the state's uh, budget shortfall, roughly four hundred million dollars for the rest of this fiscal year, the re- last six months or so, four hundred or so million dollars uh, shortfall for the coming fiscal year. She'll be releasing her budget proposal uh, a little bit later on today. Is is there any chance that this is something that that Republicans and Democrats do you think could this be an area of agreement where you know the governor says okay here's how I think we should you know we can manage one or both of these and Republicans in large part say yeah that's what we were thinking too. I mean there is a chance there's always a chance there's kind of two pathways here one pathway I think is the easy way um, and that maybe perhaps we get a shorter session out of it because the shortfall I think is not as bad as I think people expected there was sort of a sky is falling feeling mm-hmm. at the end of last session um, it's not quite as bad now to the point where I think there's I think some understanding that through you know accounting and you know doing things like sweeps and whatnot you know pausing capital projects that were agreed to last year that we can get to a point where we can get a budget done that doesn't cut essential services that everyone can sort of agree on and go home. So that's one pathway. The other pathway is if some of these other policy issues that we've been talking about creep into the budget discussion and then we're in this in sort of impasse that lasts for months. Matt, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I kind of have a sense of which way you think this one might go. <laughs> are, are, are you think, are you thinking the, the second choice, uh, choice B that, that Roy was outlining? Look, I, I think that the governor has signaled she intends to uh, – first off, quick background. 
The last budget was approved. There was about a $2 billion surplus. The legislators were all given a certain amount of money that they could choose to spend as right. they wanted as part of that process. A lot of capital projects, a lot of transportation. The governor has signaled that she intends to go back and claw as much of that money back as she can in terms of like transportation projects that have not yet begun. I think that's going to be the first step. But remember, all of those projects, th- those were all approved by legislators and certain legislators who had those as their top priorities. So there will be a fight over those issues. So I, I don't think it's going to be easy. I mean, look, $400 million in, in the current fiscal year, which is an $18 billion general fund, is a relatively small amount of money. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard to imagine that amount like in the real world being a small amount. But yes, in the overall scope of the budget, it's not a ton. I mean, under Brewer, we cut 40 percent from the general fund. So, you know, compared to that, this is a piece of cake. Um, but all of these things, that nothing's easy. It'll be a fight. Well, I'm curious, Matt, especially given, as you pointed out, how the budget was done last year. There's a lot of concern early in the session, like how were the Republicans and the Democrats going to get together on this? And as it turns out, they did it by, as somebody referred to it as doing the Oprah budget, where everybody gets money and they can do what they want with it. This year, you can't do that. So does that set up a potentially more difficult and fraught process? I I think it does. And I think in particular, watch watch the Freedom Caucus because, you know, they, they set the tone in a lot of ways at the legislature, and I think they're going to be disinclined to do anything that looks like an accounting gimmick. So rollovers or, sell, you know, sale leaseback of state buildings or all, all the various tricks and, and gimmicks and things that have been used in the past, I, I think will be a very difficult sell this, this time around. So, Roy, if that is in fact the case, some of those accounting things that, that have been done in the past are not really on the table, what does that, what does that leave the, the players with here? Well, then we're in that sort of impasse scenario. And, and I think at that point, what we're sort of relying upon is what you kind of started with with this question. And, and I agree with um, with Matt. We were talking about this earlier. And, I, and I'm older than I look, so I'm an old dog, too. <laughs> uh, in the old days, uh, it used to be in an election year, people would want to get done so they can go campaign. And, right. and especially in the current environment down at the legislature where there's only a one-seat majority in both chambers for the, for the Republicans, you know, I think everyone's anxious to sort of get out there. So – if we're in that world where things are dragging along, I think the one counter pressure to that would be we need to get out so we can start campaigning and get the election going. So, Roy, if you had to look into a crystal ball and predict one or more areas uh, where the governor and legislative Republicans will find common ground, like last year, for example, the extension of uh, Prop 400, they, have, of course, did the budget. There were some other things that, that they agreed on. What what comes to mind to you as sort of th- this is where they may be able to come together and get something done? Probably sober living homes and addressing that. Um, I mean, I would say water because that's obviously, I think, the number one priority. It seems that the number one priority from the governor, but obviously, you know, groundwater policy is is very complicated. There's a lot of water bills that are already dropping down there yeah. uh, this week, so that's harder. But that should be another area. Where there should be some agreement. Matt, what do you think? Uh, Prop one two three extension and specifically uh, emphasizing teacher pay. Okay, yeah, th- that was the the initiative to take extra money out of the uh, state land trust for for schools. And and there's a proposal uh, in the legislature from Republicans to basically ask voters to continue that. But specifically, the money would go to teacher pay as opposed to anything else. You think that's something that that they'll agree on? I I think they'll find common ground. I mean, the the governor's indicated she wants to do something similar. She would like to expand it. So it also applies to other education professionals, you know, cafeteria workers, bus drivers, et cetera, et cetera. 
I, I think they'll find so, they'll they'll get something done. There's, there's too much political incentive to uh, to do it. So, Roy, let me start with you on the U.S. Senate race. We saw some uh, fundraising numbers come out this week. The first quarter that uh, Democrat Ruben Gallego and uh, Republican Kerry Lake were really both sort of head to head, and uh, Gallego outraised Lake three point three million to two point one million dollars. I'm curious what you make of those numbers, but also. Like, how important are they given the amount of outside money that's expected to come into this race? Well, I mean, in the interest of full disclosure, I, I'm counsel to the Gallego campaign, uh, so, but I'll try to be as objective as possible. <laughs> Appreciate uh, it. You know, I think on the Gallego side, I mean, this is three straight campaign finance quarters where he's been over $3 million. So the fundraising has been very consistent. The type of fundraising, meaning that it's majority small dollar donors, has been consistent. So I think that leads, you know, to a conclusion that he has a very strong fundraising base going forward. You know, Carrie Lake raised um, you know, a good amount less money in her first quarter, and you would expect the first quarter to be sort of like the best quarter you're going to have until the heart of the election. So I'm not surprised it was 2.1 million, um, but it's probably going to be less uh, next time around. And I'm very curious what she has, and this gets actually to your question, what her cash on hand is, because now it goes up to 6.5 million cash on hand. That's a good amount of money. Who's, you know, who knows how much Carrie Lake has. But yes, there were going to be tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars spent on independent expenditures in the Senate campaign. But it's still very important for these campaigns to have their own campaign war chest that they can spend and, and use wisely for, for the kinds of things that they want to do, because they have to be on TV as well. Right. Well, so Matt, when you look at these numbers, at least so far, what comes to mind for you? Uh, look, I think Roy's right. It's a very early indicator, but the, the fact that Ruben has now in multiple uh, multiple quarters out raised Kerry Lake is is a sign of something, you know, a sign of his grassroots support. Uh, but I mean, again, I would just caution like there will be such a flood of outside and national money in this race that we're talking about a million dollar difference between the two candidates at this point. I mean, that's just a drop in the ocean. Right. What it's going to be. I mean, so in that case, then do these numbers, is it more of like a I don't want to say psychological, but is it more of like a is it more symbolic maybe the the amount of money that is raised relative to like compared to the amount that a candidate might actually need to to do what they want to do and get their message out i think it's just a very early early indicator of momentum and strength period okay that's fair all right. So, guys, we saw also this week an effort. Uh, Governor Hobbs, we talked about her State of the State speech. She went out of her way to praise the Arizona Commerce Authority for uh, bringing jobs in and some of the economic development work that it's been doing for the state. Um, we then saw that uh, State Senator uh, Jake Hoffman, leader of the, the Freedom Caucus, wants to do away with the uh, <laughs> with the Commerce Authority. Matt, how do you see this uh, this issue shaking out? Like, is there any chance that this this thing goes away? You know, it sets up a really interesting dynamic because some kind of traditionally Republican, maybe not conservative, but Republican constituencies, business constituencies, Arizona Chamber, for example, is is an organization that came out very immediately pushing back uh, on, you know, uh, Hoffman and the Freedom Caucus's plan to to do away with the Commerce Authority. We heard really, from Danny Seiden at the at the very top there, the head of the chamber. Yeah, correct. Uh, and, and making the point themselves that, you know, if, if you do this, now you've allowed Democrats to kind of take up the mantle of job creation and, and economic strength and all of those things. So I, I think it's an interesting fight. I, I suspect that the Commerce Authority is going to survive. It, speaking of Jan Brewer, it's something that she created right. over a decade ago, you know, coming out of the, the throes of the, the Great Recession. And it has been tremendously successful. 
So, you know, it doesn't – it's not to say that there haven't been, you know, things to quibble with about some individual spending and things like that. Conservatives in particular have, have always had kind of an issue with some of the incentives that are given to, to companies that locate here. But on the, on the all in all, I think it's been a successful organization. I, sus- I uh, suspect it's going to survive. Roy, do you see this as a potentially big fight at the Capitol this year? It could be, though, uh, though I agree with Matt that in the end, I think it's it's going to survive and it'll be reauthorized. I mean, you know, I always say, like, we live in interesting times. I mean, this debate is a kind of a good example of that, where you've got a Democratic governor arguing rightfully that this uh, agency needs to continue uh, its work. And it does vital work. I mean, you know, we're constantly uh, hear about, you know, companies uh, relocating here, building new factories, new businesses here, investing in Arizona. And a lot of those things happen because of what the Commerce Authority does. And, of course, we even things like the semiconductor industry in Taiwan, uh, you know, that stuff happened because the Commerce Authority, you know, helped make that happen. So ultimately, I think the reality will hit and that we need to continue this in order to continue our economic maturity and development in the state. Right. I mean, literally just this week, there was a, a ranking. Arizona ranked number one in the country for manufacturing job growth. Hmm. And, you know, not all of that, but some of that is due to the work of the Commerce Authority, the fact that, you know, companies like TSMC and a lot of the other manufacturers have located here. It's not a coincidence. So we saw this week uh, two things related to uh, – we talked a little bit about uh, abortion in terms of the governor's state of the state speech. Two, uh, two bits of news this week uh, from the ballot measure front on abortion. There's a, a new group uh, called It Goes Too Far, which uh, started doing some work to uh, try to convince Arizonans to oppose this measure, assuming that it makes the ballot. We also saw the group uh, – uh, Arizona for Abortion Access say it's collected uh, more than 250,000 signatures so far to get it on the ballot. Matt, I'm curious, like from your perspective, is it a better uh, a better strategy for the it goes too far for the opponents to try to convince people not to sign up to put their name to get this on the ballot? Or is it a better strategy to uh, to assume that maybe it gets to the ballot, there will be legal challenges, of course, but then try to convince voters to vote against it? Well, the short answer is you have to do both. And every ballot campaign, every opposition campaign, you know, that first that first effort is to just keep it off the ballot. And part of that is hoping that the other side can't get enough signatures to qualify for the ballot, legal challenges to try to get it thrown off the ballot. So you have to do all that up front because mm-hmm. if you can keep this fight from happening, if you can keep it off the ballot, then that saves you, you know, tens of millions of dollars down the road in terms of a campaign you won't have to wage. So you do that, but simultaneously you're gearing up for a fight assuming it does make the ballot. And oh boy, this will be a fight at the ballot. Do you think it makes the ballot ultimately? I do. I mean they've they've already collected 250,000 signatures, you know, allegedly that's what right. they say, and so I I think they'll have little difficulty qualifying. Roy, do you think they make the ballot? I, I do. I mean, 250,000 signatures at this early stage. I mean, the deadline to submit is not until this summer. Right, right in July. So, so, so we've, you know, we've got several month, more months to go, but it's a great start. It's going to make the ballot. There's going to be significant investment on the pro side to get it passed, millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, if polling is correct, if outcomes in other states that have, you know, recently voted on similar measures are correct – then it's going to pass. And I think it's going to be actually something that's very beneficial um, to Democrats in the state. I mean, if we're just talking about the political aspect of this, I think that's that's going to be very helpful to the statewide and to the congressional and legislative candidates that are running. 
It's kind of interesting the name of the group. It goes too far because this was sort of telegraphed by critics of the – at least the language when it first came out that this was going to be the strategy, that it – not so much that it you know, allows uh, abortion up to the point of viability, but that there are also some exceptions that go beyond that and that was sort of going to be the, the part of the initiative that critics would go after. Is that – how – Easy or difficult will it be, do you think, Roy, for supporters of the measure to try to, you know, assuage concerns about about some of those things? Well, I mean, I, again, I, I, I think that the language in the measure is similar to what was recently passed in Ohio, for example. Um, I don't think it's, you know, goes too far. I don't think it's vague. I know that was another sort of argument that it made. I think it actually, you know, is right sort of in the heart of where the average Arizonan is what again what polling shows Arizonans believe when it comes to the right to an abortion, um, and as a result, I think it's going to pass. So a lot of those things, those, those arguments that they're going to make, they're probably going to be legal challenges. Don't get me wrong, but just sure. from a political side, you know, messaging side, I don't think they're going to land because I think ultimately more people are going to agree with the proponents. Matt, what do you think about that, especially compare you know relative to what Roy was talking about and how this issue has played out in other states and in other elections? Specifically, what they're saying goes too far is that, look, the amendment says that uh, abortion will be legal up to the – up to fetal viability, which is 23, 24 weeks. Beyond that, however, it provides for – you can get a, a later term, term abortion if, for example, uh, it's it, – you get a, a approval or a recommendation or whatever the term is they use from a quote-unquote healthcare professional, which is very broad – I don't, does that apply to, I don't know, my podiatrist? I mean, what is a healthcare professional? That's a very broad term. It doesn't specify it has to be an OB or something like that. So healthcare professional is broad and it also allows for a, uh, a, a later term abortion uh, if it's deemed in the interest of the mental health of the mother. Again, opponents of the amendment will say that's really broad. That could be for virtually any reason. And so I think that is going to be the, the ground on which the uh, initiative is fought. You know, is that – are Arizona voters comfortable with that? Uh, and I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's that's going to be the fight that will play out over the coming year. So we just have about 30 seconds left. So I want to ask each of you, crystal balls, I know, cloudy often. How much money, Matt, do you think ultimately when all is said and done will be spent on this initiative? Oh, I, I think in all likelihood it will be the most expensive initiative in state history. I mean, exceeding Prop 127, which I was involved in way back in 2018. So mm. tens of millions. Tens of millions. Roy, what do you think? Tens of millions, $30, $40 million. Probably. So much money. Yeah. So many ads, so many things in our mailboxes, right? Amongst other ads, right? Amongst, I mean, other, amongst the right. hundreds of millions for the Oh, there's also a presidential and campaign race. and a Senate race going on. All right. Roy Herrera, Matthew Benson, thanks so much. Thanks to you both for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.